So last week we started by talking about an experience I think we've all had at some point where you're hearing someone give a speech, maybe a sermon, and you think they're coming to the end, and then they just keep going. And you're like, man, when's this thing going to end? And I had that experience with Peter. We had already walked through so much, and I thought, we are finally coming to the end of this big declaration of who these Christians are. We're ready to get into the meat of some application. But what did he do? He kept going. Well, this week I thought, surely. Surely's the moment. Like, this is the moment. This is the time where finally we get into that next section. Where maybe we're going to get some application. Now do this. But I was mistaken. He keeps going keeps going. Let me just quickly catch you up. If you haven't been with us or haven't been paying attention or if you've been sleeping. I'm not naming names here, but I see all things. Take a look. Here's this list. This is the thing he said about them. This is a great list. They are chosen, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by Christ's blood, born into a living hope, born into an eternal inheritance, Shielded by God's power through faith, gaining a proven faith, receiving praise, glory, and honor, having inexpressible joy. Like, I mean, that's a good enough list for me. Those are the things you get as a Christian. That's what these Christians have. Even though they're going through suffering, this is what they get. It's who they are. And yet, that's not it. That's not all. So we're going to have to keep going. 1 Peter, we're in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, you can open it with me. Maybe click there if you have it on your phone. We're in verses 10 through 12. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Verses 10 through 12. Here it is. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that has come to you, they searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah, the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the Gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. There's a lot there. So we're just going to pick up verse 10, and let's just unpack that, because this just adds to the list of all the things you get, and that these Christians are even in the middle of suffering. So we start with the first part of verse 10, let's just put that up. So concerning this salvation, now last week Peter started with praising God for this, and we had to go backwards to look at what this was. Well, this salvation, in its immediate context, refers back to verse 9 where Paul says the, uh, talks about the salvation of their souls. The salvation of their souls. So this salvation referring to the salvation of their souls. Now the wider context is that whole list. That whole list we just read. Things like, you are a chosen people. You have been sprinkled with His blood. You are born into a living hope. You have an inheritance. They will not fade. It won't wither. It will never be defiled. This salvation. So that's what he's talking about is this salvation. 
But now, this salvation, it's not something that just popped up. It just popped out of nowhere in, in AD 30 in this region of Palestine in the Roman Empire. It's not just, it just didn't appear. Uh, this is a salvation that people have been talking about for a very long time. They've been looking forward to it. That's what comes next. You saw what he writes next. This salvation, take a look. Here's what he said next, remember? The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Well, they searched intently and the greatest care. It was the prophets. Now here, we wonder, well, what prophets are we talking about? Most scholars think in these, this, this reference to the prophets is really, in general, to the prophets of the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even prophets like, like Hosea and Amos and Micah. These prophets, they were looking forward to a time when something would happen. And he uses this word. It's a word we have come accustomed to, but we probably should take note. He says that these prophets, these, these men of God who looked forward into the future, they, they looked forward to a time when grace would come. Do you see that? He said, he said, grace. They looked to the grace that would come. Now, interesting, there's a lot of other words we, we, he could have used. Uh, he could have said the forgiveness of sin. He could have said something like the eternal life. He could have said something like the sanctification of your soul or the justification by faith. He could have said a lot of different things, but he said those prophets were looking to the grace that would come. Because Peter knew personally what every Christian needs to come to know, that they have received undeserved merit. This is, this is the same Apostle Peter who on the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, denied Jesus three times. It's the same Jesus that forgave him for the denial. The same Jesus that lavished him with grace. Unmerited favor. That's the thing the prophets were looking forward to. That's the thing they knew would one day come. Grace. You get what you didn't deserve. And when the apostles, they talk about this gospel message, well, they're going to talk a lot about grace. And you probably know that famous passage, right? Out of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, where the apostle Paul writes this. Check this out. Ephesians 2. We'll just take verse 1 and 8 and 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But it was by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one's walking up to the pearly gates that don't really exist and saying, did you catch that? Just slip right, right in there, okay? I know you may tell me a joke with the pearly gates, but let's be honest, there's no pearly gates. Let's keep going. You don't walk up to them and say, can I show you what I've done? Can I get in? No one does. You show God what, he does, what you've done, to hell you go. Because no one's done enough. It's by grace you have been saved. It is unmerited favor. And it just didn't show up. The prophets, they were looking for a time when the grace would come. And as Peter tells us, well, they were trying to figure out all the details. Like, what, what would this grace look like? Like, how would it appear? Uh, this, was a, this was something they really were intent on figuring out. Check out that next part. Here's what they were looking forward to. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them 
was pointing. Now, we just need to take a quick translation note here. This is the New International Version. But if you dig on the Greek here, you're going to see that scholars debate how the NIV has translated this. Time and circumstances. Most scholars actually disagree with the translation of circumstances. The Greek word is better translated person. So actually, the literal translation here is what person and time. The prophets were looking forward to figure out what person and time, how would it come about? Like, so who's going to bring the grace and when's it coming? That's what they were trying to figure out. That's a better translation than time and circumstances. Circumstances doesn't get what Peter's saying here. They're looking for who. Now, interestingly, the reason they're looking for who is because the Holy Spirit is telling them there is something coming and there's someone to bring it and it's going to happen at a particular time. What's interesting, though, is Peter doesn't say the Holy Spirit was giving the vision to the prophets. He says the Spirit of Christ was giving them the vision. Well, why would he say the Spirit of Christ? Why not just say the Holy Spirit? Well, one scholar, I think, gives the best explanation for this. Peter writes Spirit of Christ to refer to the Holy Spirit because the Messiah is so central to what they're looking forward to. Here's what this scholar says. Check this out. He says this, Predicting the coming Messiah was primary focus of the Holy Spirit's activity in the Old Testament prophets. So much so that Peter calls him the Spirit of Messiah or the Spirit of Christ. Another way to translate Spirit of Christ is Spirit of Messiah. They're the same word. We just are translating it two different ways in the English. The prophets look forward to the time of Messiah. And it was so central, the Holy Spirit's activity predicting that coming moment that when Peter looked at what they were doing, he could, he could call it, Call Him, not Holy Spirit, but Spirit of Christ. They were interchangeable. Because Jesus is at the center. Messiah is at the center. Now, that's exactly where He goes in the passage, right? So check out that next part of what Peter said. He said, this Spirit of Christ was predicting, He was looking forward to the time when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would, that would follow Literally, the Spirit of Messiah was looking forward to the Messiah. This would be Jesus. The Old Testament. The Old Testament is fundamentally a story that points to Jesus. Now, I'm not making this up. Like, Jesus Himself said this. There was this moment, and I imagine Peter was there. Imagine Peter was standing right there as, as, as uh, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. These are the scholars. These are the guys... PhDs in Bible knowledge. And Jesus says this, recorded in John 5. Check this out. I imagine this really grated on their nerves. He says this to these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me. If you believed Moses, you would believe Me, for He wrote about me. You want to understand the Old Testament? You've got to get Jesus. And then there was this moment, if you remember, after Jesus came back to life and He rose from the grave, He's walking on the road to, Deme uh, to Emmaus with two disciples. And He is hidden from them. They don't know who He is. He's hidden His identity. And there's this moment when He says something very important for us to understand about 
Messiah in Old Testament. Here's what he says. Luke 24, 25 through 27. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Suffering and glory. What did Peter write? Suffering and glory. And then just a few verses later, just a little bit long, a little bit later in the story, Jesus actually stands in front of all of his disciples. Peter would have been there. Here's what he says. He says this to them. He told them, this is what is written. That is what is written in the Old Testament. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The center of the Old Testament is Messiah. It is Jesus. He's the center of the story. You can't understand the story if you don't get Jesus. Now, interestingly, right there in Luke 24, in that last passage, Jesus says that the Messiah would suffer, come back to life, and then forgiveness of sins would be preached. I think that's part of the glories that Peter's talking about. The glories that would follow his suffering. You and I get wrapped up in the glories. The forgiveness of sin. And my prayer for myself, I pray it for us, is that we will actually feel, we would feel that reality. It would go from head to heart that our affections would literally be changed for Jesus. He's the center of it. Now what, what strikes me is that this, all of this, the suffering of Messiah, the glories to follow, Jesus as center of the Old Testament, none of that just just came to the prophets because they were really smart. As if they were so well trained, they just had figured it out. No, it came another way. Check it out. Remember what, he, what Peter says next in that passage as we dig the passage, verse 12. He says next, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you, revealed to them. The word there is apocalypto. That's where we get our English word apocalypse. It's the revealing. It's something that has been unveiled. The, way, the reason the prophets understood this is because it came from the outside. It was revelation from God. You wouldn't make up this story. You just wouldn't. Now, a lot of people, particularly those who are quite liberal and do not believe in God, they look around the ancient world and they look around the world today and they see stories where people sacrifice their lives for the good of others. And they simply say, well, the early Christians just picked up on this story that humans have been telling forever and ever and ever. They just picked up the old story of a human suffering for another human, and they just elevated it. But they borrowed the story. They didn't. This is nothing new. Well, that would be, that would be great if all the other stories had resurrection involved, exaltation, judgment of the world, but no story in the ancient world and today mirror the story of Christ. And like J.R.R. Tolkien once said to C.S. Lewis, who really struggled with this, he said, what if the Christian story is not just another myth borrowing from all the other myths? What if the story of Jesus is the true story on which all the others flow? Do you know why you connect with, with those 
hero stories, those movies where a soldier goes into battle and gives his life for another soul. You know why you connect with that? Because the story of Jesus is true, and it is wired into the universe. That's why you connect with it. It is the story, and it was revealed to us. We did not, in our intelligence, make it up. It was apocalypto. It literally was revealed. It was unveiled. That's how you get it. And the prophets were given the revelation. They weren't smart enough to make something like this up. No one in the world was smart enough to make it up. It is the story of God revealed to us. And I think it's really important to understand this. This is so true that the Apostle Paul at one point says when, when, he, when he would go out preaching to the world, you know what the world thinks of the story of Jesus? It's foolishness. It's just foolishness. This just can't be true. Paul says it's right here. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 22, we're just taking this excerpt here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those perishing. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. In our natural flesh, in, in ourselves, we would not come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because by the Word of God, we get the gift of faith, and then we see clearly. And Paul says this at one point later in his letter to the Corinthians. He says this, 1 Corinthians 12, just the last part of verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's how you get that. Now, Paul doesn't mean here, no one can literally use the words Jesus is Lord. Lots of people can say that. But you can't believe that unless the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of faith. And that comes by the Word. And the Word is living and active. So we come into contact with the Gospel, and then something's birthed in us, and we see Jesus clearly. It's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling of what is really true. And we come to find life. Now this stuff is so amazing. You just don't get it, again, by your natural intelligence. You get it by hearing the preaching of the Word. Interestingly, that's exactly what Peter says next in the passage. Here's what he says next in that passage. He says this as we break it down. The next thing he says is that by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So you literally are getting this message that is a revelation. You're getting it by hearing someone declare it to you. And the Holy Spirit is right behind that message with the full weight of divine power. That's the gospel. Why do we preach the Bible every week? Because we need to hear it. Because it's where the Holy Spirit is working and it unveils what is real in our world. And we need it because once you walk out of these walls and the Scriptures, you're going to get other versions of reality. And they will not be life-giving. In the end, they will trap you and lead to death. We need the preaching of the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me summarize that in just one sentence. It's this, I'd say it this way. All of God's work, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, points to Jesus. His suffering, His glory, and to all the glories that flow from Him. That's just real. Now, this thing is so amazing, we're not the only ones looking in on it. We're not the only ones. The prophets were not the only ones interested. Peter ends this with this wonderful, wonderful way of describing how amazing everything that we've just talked about is. He says this at the end of that passage. Even angels long to look into these things. Now we have in our popular culture this idea that 
that angels are so amazing, we really need to be very, we, we need to understand them. And we have this, I mean, there's almost a cult following behind angels. Like, we have a particular view of who angels are, and we get really wrapped up in understanding them, and maybe being visited by one. And there, there's this, this, this subculture of understanding angels. But you know who angels are interested in? They're interested in Jesus and what Jesus is doing with His people. And actually, it's so amazing what they see happening with God's people in the midst of suffering. Even though, even though suffering, God is still by grace saving them. And you know there's a long list that goes along with actually what God's doing. But they want to look in on it. They can't get enough of it. Touched by an angel. Remember that show? It's like a really popular show because people really were interested in angels. I just want to say one more time. Angels are interested in what God's doing among His people. That's the thing going on with angels. Because it's so amazing. One scholar said it this way. I just like the way he said it. He said, though the world may think such Christians insignificant, worthy of pity or scorn, even those suffering in particular, angels who see ultimate reality from God's perspective, find them to be objects of intense interest. For they know that these struggling believers are actually the recipients of God's greatest blessings and honored participants in a great drama at the focal point of universal history. We look at our suffering, we look at our life, and we say, ah, it's so boring, it's so hard. Why would God care about me? And yet Peter here ends this great passage declaring who we are. And he says, you don't understand, even in your suffering, there you are a participant in a wealth of treasures. Let me just make sure we understand. Can we put up our list again? Here it comes. Even in your suffering, and in your boredom, and in your ordinary struggles as a Christian, you are chosen. You're sanctified by the Spirit. You're sprinkled by Christ's blood. You're born into a living hope. You're born into eternal heritage. You're shielded by God's power through faith. You're gaining a proven faith. You're receiving praise, glory, and honor. You're having inexpressible joy. And the angels look at that and they say, this suffering people, even though they struggle, that's what they get? I want to know more about that. That is amazing. So even though you suffer, do not forget what you get. Now let's make some application. And I got one big application today. Just one. I got to have two, three, four, just one. It's this. Here's how I get this on the ground for our lives. In suffering, look to Jesus. Now I know you're reading the next part, but I'm stopping here. Because I know what you're thinking. Well, what was he going to say? Like we're in church, he's supposed to say, look to Jesus. Well, let me be clear what I'm also saying. Here's where I'll read. Do not look inside yourself or try to find yourself. It's the worst thing you can do. You do not want to find yourself. You find yourself, you're going to find a lot of bad things probably. You look to Jesus and find His grace. Now, what I'm not saying here is saying that you're so worthless you have no value in the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is, in popular culture, the idea that when you're suffering or going through a hard time, you look in the mirror and you tell yourself, you're good enough. And you have all the strength inside yourself, as if you're some hero in a comic book. Not a hero in a comic book. You are a believer, Satan.
weak, then you're strong by God's strength. You look inside yourself and you say, there's grace. There's grace. There's mercy. There's inheritance. There's living hope. There's blood, the blood of Christ. There's praise, glory, and honor. There's inexpressible joy. You look inside yourself and you see Christ. There's where the joy is. There's where the strength is. Listen, you know why looking inside yourself has never worked over the last 30 years? At least as long as I've been hearing it and all the self-esteem talk that I was trained in in elementary school. Because there's nothing so deep inside of me that couldn't save me. If that was the case, then I would not be the skills I have to be rich and famous. But I don't have it within me, and nor do you. What you need to do, and what I need to do, is when suffering, the first place we look is to Jesus. Do not look inside yourself. Don't go find yourself. You will eventually lead, you will eventually be led to a dead end. Now listen, I can't make you not try, so go try. Go try to find yourself, and you'll be on a really long journey. You'll find Jesus, and you'll get everything else thrown in. I'm telling you, that's just true. That's God's Word. That's the Gospel. So there's this song that I was reminded of as I was coming to this application, because let me tell you, I had like three or four pieces of application. I was like, no, we got to just center it right here. There's this song. Maybe you know it. Here's the lyrics. I know, I put the song at the bottom, but here's the lyrics. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full on His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You want perspective? You get Jesus. Then you'll understand yourself a lot better than you understand yourself if you're just looking in the mirror. Now, how do you do that? You have to read the Bible. You cannot just go jumping to and fro in the fields looking for a vision from Jesus. You need God's Word. Then if He gives you visions, they will be lining up with God's Word. You need God's Word. And you need church. This is not, this faith thing is not an isolated journey. And I understand that the virtual world makes it convenient. And I understand there are people who still are not coming because of risks, health risks. I understand that. And I understand there are many who can't make it on a Sunday because of work, often because of work or something in, in some obligation outside, uh, a family obligation. But if, if doing church in your pajamas is the thing keeping you at church, shame on you. I'm, I, I probably should just look at the camera. So if you're just at home in your pajamas because it's convenient, shame on you. Now, I don't usually talk this way. But if Christianity has just become a matter of convenience, you've lost, you, you, you've lost the core of Christianity. It is Jesus who said you come and die. And then you find life. Listen, I don't have any problem with being comfortable in church. i got no problem. We gave you padded seats. Enjoying those? Sure, that's fine. My point here is this. My point here is this. When I say shame on you, what I'm saying shame on is the idea that you can have Jesus on your terms. 
Does that make sense? Are you following me? I'm not saying like if you don't feel well or again, you're out of town or you're working or something just went really wrong on the morning. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that when you pop into church, when it's convenient, you've made this thing about you and not Christ. And why would I say you've got to gather in a church? Because it is called the body of Christ. We need each other. Now listen, I'm not saying you've got to come to East 10. I am never going to be about selling our brand. Go be with Christians. That's my point. That's my point. And my generation and the generations coming after me have gotten really lazy. COVID did not help that. And do you think I want to be here every Sunday? Don't. I'm going to be... It, it was like a rhetorical question that I got caught that I got caught in the uncomfortableness of. I'm, I'm so sorry. No, I don't want to be here every Sunday. I want to sleep in with you. I'd love if Terry would preach and I sat home in my pajamas. Wouldn't that be great? I come because I need to come. And I've already told you my story and I won't be long-winded. I'm not going to tell it to you again. But if it wasn't for having to come to a church building with other Christians in, uh, about 10 years ago, I would not be a Christian anymore. Because I walked in that building, I could care less about Jesus, but I came because we had relationships and I had to show up. But I praise God I did. So I just, I'm saying, use the virtual option when it, when it like, when you need to use it. Don't use the virtual option just because it's convenient. Because convenient becomes a habit, and a habit, and that habit, you lose something key about Jesus. Your body needs to be here. Or somewhere with other Christians. Okay. Now, in my manuscript, I was not nearly as hard. We're going to just call that maybe Holy Spirit needing to say something to somebody. And I have the Word of God, like, behind everything I just said. Yeah, I wouldn't just go off like that, please. I, yeah, I'm preaching to myself too, y'all. Okay. So we turn our eyes on Jesus. And we look full in His face. We do it while we're reading the Bible. We come together. But here's what I want to do for our next step. It's probably not going to surprise you. I want you to listen to the song, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. Listen to that every day. Just listen to it every day. I imagine most of you have the ability to go online and find that song. Some of you know it by heart. So sing it to yourself. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Yesterday I was in a funk. This, this was in a funk. Didn't, just wasn't in a good mood. Kind of low. I don't. These things happen. C.S. Lewis calls it the wall of undulation. We are human, and therefore we do this for sometimes no reason at all. And so I said, "Oh, I'm going to be preaching this tomorrow." And you know what I did? I listened to this song over and over and over, and it lifted my spirits because it put my mind on Jesus. And not on my low Eeyore um, feelings for the day. I needed it. So I pass it on and I say, let's listen to it each day. Because in our sufferings, we look to Jesus. We get clarity and we know who we are. A people chosen. Sprinkled by His blood. Born into a living hope. Internal inheritance. Receiving a, a proven faith. Praise and glory and honor and inexpressible joy. Those are the kind of things we get. 
I just pray we realize that more and more. More and more. That Christ is formed in us. And we do it together. We do it together as a church family. Let me pray for us. Father, now would you go with us as your word has has done a work, hopefully, in us. Holy Spirit, continue to transform us. I mean, literally, be making us different people. And I pray for every one of us that walks through suffering. I'm sure it's each of us. In, 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 in our way, we suffer and we struggle. And some of those challenges become quite heavy. We look to your Son, Jesus. And we remember who we are by grace. And would you take that vision of Christ through your word and by being here with his people? And would you lift our spirits so that we can get through the rest of today, literally Sunday, September 19th. And then we'll go into tomorrow and we'll keep our eyes on Jesus. And so now we ask you for that strength and you help us see that reality. We pray in him who has given us grace, a living hope and eternal inheritance inexpressible joy. Together we say, Amen.